All right, y'all. Y'all know what time it is. This is Never Out of Bounds. And you know who I am. This is El Jama. And in case you haven't noticed, this is my 50th episode. And you know what? We I started this off in May. And I wasn't too sure how this was going to, you know, turn all out. But with that being said, I've had a great time. This has been fun. I'm going to keep on doing it getting better at this like i said this is something i've enjoyed i've learned a lot this has been informative hopefully it's been informative for some of you and you know what let's get right into it with the word on the street now recently i talked about a russian kremlin spy by the name of maria butina 29 year old who's currently being charged with uh, basically infiltrating the nra and posing as an agent well she is an agent and she was conducting business in the u.s so she's being on she's being charged with that and she'll be tried soon now um her now there's more information being released about her benefactor now this man goes by the name of Konstantin Nikolaev now he t- it turns out that he's a Russian billionaire who's also worked with two banks that are now facing US sanctions he's also worked with another prominent uh, Russian businessman who's facing US sanctions by the name of Igor Rodenberg he's also working for a couple more but uh, he's also a member was also a member of the uh, the Russian military advisory panel and him and his wife uh, Svetlana also went with Maria to meet senior NRA officials in Moscow during the 2016 presidential campaign now I'm not too sure at this point with that being said I'm not too sure if it's so much of a you know Republicans don't know what's going on maybe they're in on it in some way I that's that's kind of strange for me to find that out uh, Russian Oh, I'm sorry, NRA head officials are in Moscow during the, the campaign. That's a very interesting fact to find out. Now, Konstantin also and his wife uh, received $250 million in loans from the state-run Russian U, uh, I'm not going to say, yeah, it says UTB Bank. Now, this has also been affiliated with Russian intelligence agencies agency so that's that's another interesting thing there there seems to be some connection with the um well we know that the russians are funding uh secret intelligence with their banks we know that's what they're doing off the fact uh but we're doing that too so not much different than than what we're doing on in you know in all honesty now uh nicola uh constantin uh, actually, Svetlana, his wife, and Rodenberg, uh, the guy I mentioned before, Igor, they happen to share business ventures together, including uh, TB's, TPZ, which is a auto, I'm sorry, an ammo maker for, you know, for guns and so and so forth. Now, his wife is on the board of directors for that company. Igor happens to own a small, uh, smaller share of the company because of the sanctions he's had to sell off some of his shares. That's so... There's a deeper connection than I originally thought, obviously, here. Um, of course, I'll have to keep, um, you know, I'll keep, you know, going back to this, especially as more stories come out, more information comes out, and not only to get a better, not only for you guys to get a better understanding, but I want to get a better understanding of this as well, because, again, the fact that NRA officials are in Moscow during the 2016 campaign, maybe there was no real infiltration. Maybe there was more so 
you know, some type of cooperation. So this is this is something very, very um I, I I would say dangerous because I think they're playing the US is trying to Republicans, especially the Republicans are trying to play like they've been sabotaged or there was some sats some type of sabotage, but in all reality, it's almost like they knew and they were friends with some of these people. This is interesting. So we'll have to keep I'm gonna keep coming back to the story and other ones similar, guys, so we get to the bottom of this. Now next next order of business we're gonna talk about it's near closer to home for me at least. The California fires right now. The Mendocino fires have burned 283,000 uh, acres uh, of land recently, and this is the worst fire so far in California history. Now, only 30% have 30% of these fires, or these fires in total, have been contained. Uh, last year's fires, uh, the, at least the major fires in Ventura and Santa Barbara, only burned 281,000 acres by comparison. And these fires are dying down in the least bit, um, even at nighttime when the temperatures are going down, winds and other, you know, adverse weather effects are helping to spread this tremendously. And there doesn't look like, and to be all honest with you, at the moment, there they they will have some some help this earlier i'm sorry later on this week with the weather the air quality won't be as good but what uh what they're saying that at least the meteorologists are saying is that it would affect at least the spread of the of the fire will help suffocate it so also uh Mendocino Lake and Calusa County have been evacuated because this fire is spreading thousands of acres a day. Now, with that being said, though, the the physical and property damage is relatively low as compared to last year uh, because these fires are burning in remote areas. But that that just would bug me out, especially living in, in in ancient times. Imagine living in like 1800s California, or you know, in an Indian tribe, and then you're just facing a, a wildfire that you don't even know how to stop because you don't necessarily have the the technology to, to go about it. Like with the planes that they got now and the, the the hydro pumps that they got now, that would be a crazy sight to see. Would, would the fire ever stop? I would just imagine the fire never stopping. If I lived in ancient times and I saw a wildfire, I don't think I could ever come back because I'd be like, that's the fire that never stopped. I don't even I wouldn't even know if it ever stopped. I'm gone. But with that being said, this is uh four of the biggest wildfires in state history have happened since 2012. And a lot of this is being said because of the the, dr the drought conditions, dry weather, uh climate change. Again, we're going to keep bringing this up here because this is all part of that. You know, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. Ask our buddies buddies in Greece, they're going through the same thing right now. Global I'm not going to call it global warming. Let's not get into that trap. I told you that's a trap. Climate change. I learned about it all in high school. It sucks. Trust me. Now, one last bit of business here before we get to the sports. Chi-Town. What the fuck is going on? Apparently, over the weekend, 66 people were shot with 12 people being killed. These uh, shootings happened in the south and west side of the city. Of course, these are the predominantly Latin and uh, Latino and black communities. These are gang territories as well. Uh, two of the victims were uh, two of the many two of these victims were 17 years old, a boy and a girl. One was shot on the bike. One was shot in the face. The girl was shot in the face. The, the actually the yeah, the brother was shot in the face, and the girl was shot off her bike. And um, investigations have started. Leads have been found, but at the moment, no arrests have been made.
what the fuck what the fuck chicago now shootings with that being said shootings have gone down 17 percent this year which would lead me to believe that murder rate is off the chain that's outrageous Something is, is, is brewing. I don't know what the hell is going on. And one thing that I do not like, when you see something like this, you're going to be quick to hear uh, the Republican side or Republican pundits. Rudy Giuliani already sent out a tweet. Uh, the first thing he said was this was because a Democratic mayor, Democratic this, that, and the other. I do not buy that. Ruling class government policies have nothing to do with people wanting to shoot each other. First and foremost, I don't buy that. Republican and, and, and Democrats have nothing to do with, with people in the hood killing each other. I'm sorry. Now, they might play an adverse, might play an indirect effect with wages and hiring and, and all and the laws and all that. But we killing each other and that's not cool. And I don't, I can't, I don't have no excuses for it. Anyways, there were a couple more murders earlier Monday, this Monday morning. And they were close to the show. They were close to uh, Chicago State University. Um, a little bit after midnight, uh, I would, uh, yeah, a little bit after midnight, um, a couple, a man and a woman, both uh, elderly uh, 50s in their, in their uh, 50s were shot on their porch the man was killed and then another shooting occurred around 2:26 a.m. three men were shot and sent to the hospital so this is getting out of control i'm not too sure what their uh solution to this is they do claim that they have some data driven system now where they're going to try to predict crime in certain areas and try to be there to prevent it i i don't know what it what it's all about um that aspect is all about the community themselves they um they've tried to take action through their active school programs their youth programs they have a couple stop stop the violence movements now uh this this week actually this uh today they had a uh, and throughout the weekend actually the parents of the victims they also held uh vigils throughout the city and just trying to get you know i guess the message out there that you know just stop the violence but in a city like that, I unfortunately I don't know. Um, it's sad to see that. I don't know what their what their end game would be to stop all that would be. Um, but anyways, on that somber note, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna get into sports. We definitely uh, I told you guys we're gonna have the NFC West preview, and then we're gonna also have the Big Ten preview for college football. We have one story to touch up on in terms of the NFL, and. We're going to get a movie review done tonight just for the hell of it. So, y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, y'all. Let's get it. And like I said, we got a little bit of NFL news uh, before we get into everything else. Uh, the Patriots have released receiver Malcolm Mitchell today. Now, Mitchell was their 2016 fourth-round draft pick, and he played in 14 games that season. He had 32 catches, 401 yards with four touchdowns. He also got sev uh, seven catches and 70 yards in the Super Bowl against the Falcons that year, and he was pretty solid in the second half and helped lead them uh, to winning the game. So, uh, But, however, he didn't play all last season because of a, a leg um, 
excuse me, a knee injury. And if you guys know anything about Bill Belichick, you know he doesn't play that. He, you have to be able to produce, and you have to be able to play the, you know, their style of football. It has to be the New England way, the Patriot way. So, you know, he had to go. Uh, they well, and it wasn't that bad. I mean. They did try to make a trade for him, I guess, uh, but they weren't able to come up with, you know, any type of uh, value for him coming back, I guess. So they just decided to cut him. And that basically leaves room for Eric Decker. And he's pretty much, I would say he's going to be your starter uh, next to Chris Hogan going into next season, especially with Julian Edelman out four games, unless he's able to get that uh, reversed by the league, which I don't, I don't see happening. And then you also have Kenny Britt. And you have a couple other young guys back there. So, like I said before, tough sledding for Tom Brady. I wouldn't want to wish that on no one. Now, let's get into this NFC West preview. I'm going to be uh, previewing all of the, uh, the NFL divisions, AFC West, AFC East, you know, so on and so forth. Today, like I said, I was going to start with the NFC West. It's close to home. Now, uh, with this one, it's going to be similar to my college football, you know, review and preview. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how they did last year, kind of talk about each team's playoff run, if they made it, and we're going to talk a little bit about their offseason moves and compare all that together, and we're going to, you know, go uh, from there to making a, a prediction. Uh, There's still going to be favorite dark horses and sleepers. Still the same thing with the college football. And uh, let's just get right into it. We're going to talk about, like I said, the standings from last year. So last year, the Rams fin on, finished on top of the division, 11-5. and five. This was their first playoff berth since uh, 2004. And this was the first time that they've won the division since 2003. And the first time that they went as a member of the as a member of the LA City as the LA Rams, uh, this is the first time the LA Rams went to the playoffs since 1985. But they lost in the in the wild card to the Falcons, 13 to three. Now the Seahawks finished nine and seven. They didn't make the playoffs, and we all kind of know what happened with their defense, and we're hearing about what's going on with Earl Thomas now. And more and more every day, you start hearing about the rifts that were, you know starting to come about on that team. They finished 9-7. They didn't go to the playoffs last year. The Cardinals, they uh, flamed out again. They're going to be losing their – they lost their coach, Bruce Arians, uh, to health issues. They, uh, they lost their quarterback, uh, Carson Palmer, as well. And they finished 8-8. Eight eight. Also, they make the playoffs. And at the bottom, we got the San Francisco 49ers, my, my least favorite team. I'm a Raiders fan, so, hey, whatever. They finished 6-10. And uh, they they struggled in the beginning of the year. They looked a lot better near the end of the year. Of course, we all know about Jimmy Garoppolo. He seemed to help them out a lot and pretty much uh, help them, you know, at least get the, the rest of those wins, those six wins. So uh, good look on them. And, you know, they, they, they might be looking a little bit better for next season, you know. Truth be told. Now, in terms of the offseason, let's talk about the Niners first. Now, we all know about them getting Jimmy Garoppolo and that I thought it was one of the smartest trades in the past five or five years, something like that. It should lead to some success for the 49ers in the, in the near future. They also got Richard Sherman. Uh, we already know about him, veteran cornerback. He was playing for the Legion of Boom in Seattle. Things broke down there, and, uh, of course, he's now back in the Bay Area, back in California where he grew up. He's back in the Bay Area where he went to college at Stanford. So that's somewhat of a hometown um, 
you know, thing going on there. That's pretty that's pretty solid. And then they brought in running back uh Jarek McKinnon. Now these aren't all of their additions, of course. I won't I won't be going through every single name, but just some of the main names for each team, of course. And well they also brought in running back Jarek McKinnon, uh really solid, reliable back. Um, I believe he's a thousand yard rusher and he's pretty solid in terms of fantasy. So if you're looking for a second or third, I would say third or fourth rounder, I would say pick him up too. And then uh, their main loss though was Elvis Dumerville, uh, outside linebacker or defensive end, depending on your package, defensive package, really, really cool outside presence. He's a little bit older now, but uh, so he's maybe lost a little bit of steam, but definitely a loss there. Um, let's go into the Rams real quick. Uh, they, of course, they picked up a, a lot of different stars, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They got Indomitian Sue, big time defensive tackle, tough guy, little bit of a dirty player, but hey, he's just, he's just a guy that doesn't take that shit. He's from, he's from Portland, Oregon. And if you're, believe it or not, I'm not saying black people from Portland, Oregon are specifically hard, but if you have to deal with that type of environment, yeah, with black, with certain situations, you, you get galvanized. You ain't, you ain't going to take a lot of people's shit. And he's just one of those guys. Believe me. I I, I know. Marcus Peters, um, uh, well, he's from the Bay Area, Oakland, California, cousin of Marshawn Lynch. I, they probably just partners. I don't, you know how everybody likes to say that because I, I don't really, you know what, whatever. He he plays for the rival team, so I can't, I can't mess with him too much. But he's a solid player, though. But they brought him in. They also got Brandon Cook, a uh, solid wide receiver. He played for the, the Patriots uh, last season. Didn't have the greatest season with them, but I think just is because the Patriots just do not have a flashy offense, and they don't really emphasize really, really highlighting a certain receiver. So, that's just the way it is with that. Now, in turn, and they, oh, and they also brought in another cornerback that I don't like from another rival team. They brought in a kid to leave. Definitely still a solid, uh, a solid corner. I wouldn't say he was ever on the level of, of Daryl Reeves, but good nonetheless. And they ended up losing a couple couple solid players. They ended up losing their wideout Sammy Watkins. I think he would have looked great next to more, uh, Brandon Cook. But, hey, things happen for a reason. And they also lost one of their better linebackers, one of their better tackles, linebacker, uh, linebacker Alec Ogletree. Now, I, I'm very – I'm a little bit torn about that pick. I like I would prefer I always prefer outside linebackers. They seem to be a lot more versatile to me in terms of what they can do on the field. I, I like linebackers. Um it's and it sucks to see them go, especially on the defense especially on a team that has a great defense. Uh you know, and those two names they just stick out and they, they're two names that I feel definitely fit that team and I'm just like a little bit torn about them losing them. But we'll get back a little bit back to them in a second. Uh the Cardinals, as far as what happened to them, like I said, um they lost their coach, Bruce Arians. So they brought in a new coach. They got they brought in Steve Wilkes. I'm not too sure how that's gonna work. They also brought in Sam Bradford and Mike Lennon. I'm not too sure if one of those two guys are gonna be the starter. Of course, they drafted Josh Rosen in the first round. Odds are he's probably gonna go into it as the starter. I'm not 100% solid with that. But then they went ahead and, and did him a solid by getting them a, a couple of veteran linemen, offensive linemen that pretty, played pretty well. They got Justin Pugh, and they also got Andre Smith, and they also added Jamar Taylor, 
in terms of their defense. Now, on the other hand, like I said, they lost Bruce Arians. They lost Adrian Peterson. They lost O-lineman uh, Jason Build here, which I think is a, is a solid offensive lineman. And I think the biggest thing that they lost was Tyron Matthew. Defensively and in the secondary, he would have meant a lot for this team that's still trying to find itself in this, conf in this division and in the conference in general. So... Uh, there you go with them. And then finally, we got the Seahawks. The Seahawks uh, were able to add linebacker Barcavius Mingo. He was a solid, um, he's developed to a solid tackler. I wouldn't say he's one of those household names yet because he's not necessarily a pass rusher. The league and fans really like pass rushers as opposed to just outright tacklers. The, at the age of just outright tacklers in terms of them getting as much love. That was like, you know, uh, Dick Buckets and those guys, so it's it's a little bit different. They like they like power rushers, pass rushers. They love that excitement. Yeah, he also added tight end Ed Dixon to make up for the loss to Jimmy Graham. Uh, they also added offensive lineman DJ Fluker, which is really good because they need to they need to shore up that offensive line. DJ Luke Fluker, if I'm not mistaken, was a first round draft pick out of Alabama a few years back. That definitely helps them out. And um, in terms of their key losses, like I said before, they lost Richard Sherman, uh, their cornerback. They lost Michael Bennett, and they also lost Sheldon Richardson. Three big, big losses. Like I said, also they also, uh, like I said before, they lost Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham, he really didn't do a whole lot for them anyway. So it's, you know, it's 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 give or take with that. I, you know, and in terms of the rookies that they added, they had a few solid rookies. They did, did add Rashad Penny. They needed a running game. I'm not too sure if he was the the best to get given their situation. Uh, and they also added a linebacker, Shaquan Griffin. Again, adding somebody uh, on the defensive end, they need a lot of help there. So, you know, there you go. So looking at everything now, um, I would say at the end of the day, uh, my favorite to win the NL, I'm sorry, the, the NFC West would have to be the Rams. Um, I, I believe that, you know, they've they've come a long way. Uh, McVeigh has put them in the in the right position. Uh, Jeff Goff has only room to improve even more. He lost one receiver, but he gained another solid one. It would have been dope to see both of them together. Uh, they should still have a solid receiving core outside of that. I do believe that they have a good tight end. And, of course, they have a tight and girly. So, offensively, they should still be solid. My thing is defensively for the future because they still haven't uh, re-signed their big guy, uh, their big defensive tackle uh, yet. So, uh, their, their issue uh, mm, is, is to make sure – that their big tackle, uh, their big defensive tackle gets paid. Now, because I don't know, I'm not too sure where where he goes after this, you know. And uh, now I know you have you have Indomitian here, you know, and he can do this thing on the line. Of course, he's going to double, double team, so on and so forth. But we need to make sure that the man Michael Brockers gets paid. He he's the main the main uh, engine that drives this defensive line. <laughs> so until he gets paid, you know, or and not necessarily uh, Michael Brockers, him and Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald, more importantly, really, especially with the loss of Alec Ogletree, the two big dogs. I I I. I 
because I've seen Michael. I mean, I know Michael Brockers. He fits that 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 system there in L.A. And more importantly, Aaron Donald. Both of these guys need to get signed ASAP. Specifically, I would say Aaron Donald, just for the simple fact that I think definitely he's the best defensive player on the team. And if if they can keep him over the long haul, I don't think that not only are they going to win the, the division this year, they should win it at least for a, a, a couple of years after this. Now, we also, I would say as a dark horse, I would have to say the Seahawks still. Uh, believe it or not, I think they've added just enough on the defensive side of the ball. They have a solid, a better O line than they had last year. There's a question on the running back side, so we have to, they have to figure that. But in terms of that, um, I think they should be solid. I think they should really be solid and headed into next year. Like I said, they probably finish second, possibly third. Uh, but definitely up there. Now, my my sleeper pick would have to be the Niners. Niners have a solid quarterback already. They are he already has rotation. He's already has he already has game experience for them. My my question would be is can Drake McKinnon stay healthy and what does that defense really look like? I think Sherman's a, a tad bit slower. I just saw him get burnt by Marquise Goodwin in a practice. I'm not a hundred percent sure about him just being as dominant as. They say he still is, or he might still think he is. I thought it was a good pickup, but still, eh, he's up there in age. And once you get up there in age, you lose that speed. And that cornerback, you're going to need it. So I'm definitely going to question that. But I, I, I think offensively, they should turn a lot of heads. They should be able to score some points. But at the end of the day, like I said, I'm going to go with the Rams. You know, I think they have a solid, one of the best D-lines. They're not the best D-line coming into the league with Michael Brockers and Aaron Donald at the tackle position. They also have Indomitian Sue there. Um, their linebackers should still be solid, and they added a lot of people. They added two good pieces in their secondary. So I'm going to go with the Rams. That's the money pick. You have to be – I wouldn't say you have to be silly, but I wouldn't go against them this time. <laughs> All right, y'all. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the Big Ten. We got some college football, so y'all stay tuned. All right, y'all. So we are back, and I got another conference preview for you guys. And today I'm going to be going over going over the Big Ten Conference. Now, the Big Ten Conference is divided into two divisions, the East and the West, seven teams each, which brings to a total of 14. Now, another question is, why is it called the Big Ten when there's 14 teams? And my answer is the same to as to why the Big, uh, the Big 12 is called such with only 10 teams. It's simply called conference realignment. Long story short, teams switched um, from conference to conference, and it happened about a few years ago. But I understand that this is still foreign to a lot of people, so I'll have a segment uh, detailing a little bit more about that later on, either before or after the season starts, just to kind of give you guys you know, some knowledge on what that is, why it started, and its overall impact on college football, which is significant. But for today, let's get to the Big Ten. And in terms of the Eastern Division, Ohio State finished on top. They finished uh, with an 8-1 conference record, 12-2 and overall, and they finished fifth in the nation. And this is coming off pretty much a, one of their bigger upsets in the past, I would say, five or six years. They ended up losing at Iowa 24-55. to 
Like I said, massive upset. But they were able to right the ship and were still able to beat the conf- uh, sorry beat the Western uh, Division champ Wisconsin, who finished their conference record nine and zip, and they finished thirteen and one overall. That one loss being to Ohio State, and that one loss to Ohio State kept them pretty much out of the national championship mix, and they pretty much finished the regular season at number five. And uh, back to the Eastern Division, you got Michigan State coming in at number two, seven and two in conference play, ten and three overall. That helps them finish with a uh, number fifteen overall record in the nation. They had a solid ball win. We'll talk a little bit about about that soon. At number three, we got Penn State. They finished number eight in the in the nation, seven and two in conference play, eleven and two overall. At number four, we got Michigan, five and four in conference play. 8 and 5 overall. At number 5, we got Rutgers 3 and 6 in conference play, 4 and 8 overall. Now we got Indiana and Maryland bringing up the rear uh 2 and set uh 2 and 7 both of them are they had a 2 and 7 record to the both of them in conference play, but Indiana finished 5 and 7 overall. Maryland finished 4 and 8. As far as the Western Division, like I said, Wisconsin finished 9 and 0, 13 and 1 and um 13 and 1 in their overall uh, record, but they got that loss to Ohio State in the conference championship, which which kept them pretty much out of the playoff. They were they were pretty much uh, a foregone conclusion. They came in there with one of the best running uh, running teams, uh, running running back systems in the nation. They also had a solid defense, which they're going to be bringing back this this year. But um, they just couldn't get it done in that that uh, conference championship game. Those games are significant. Uh, Now, at number two in the division, we got Northwestern, who finished 25th in the nation, 7-2 overall, 10-3 um, I'm sorry, seven and two in conference play, ten and three overall. At number three, we have the upset getters, Iowa, four and five in conference play, which is I'm gonna have to get into that. Eight and five overall, four and five is the same record we got for Purdue coming in at number four in conference play. That is, but they finished seven and six in overall play. Nebraska comes in at number five, three and six in uh, conference play, four and eight overall. They're bringing in a new coach this year. They're actually bringing in the University of Central Florida. I talked a little bit about them last week. They're bringing in their old, their head coach Scott Frost this season. So that should be interesting. I might have to talk a little bit more about that soon as well. And then at the bottom half, we got Minnesota at two and seven in conference play, five and seven overall. Illinois zero and nine in conference play, two and ten overall. So as far as the ball record is concerned, aka the postseason, the Big Twelve did pretty damn good for themselves. They had pretty much one of the best records in terms of win and loss for the major five conferences. They finished at seven and one, and all these wins came against other Power Five schools. Now, when I say Power Five schools, this is a little bit easier definition, but all Power Five uh, conference schools, uh, they're pretty much the five most prominent conferences in college football. They are the Big Ten, the conference which in which in which I'm talking about right now, the Pac twelve, which I originally started the series off with, and the Pac twelve consists of Cal, USC, Oregon, so on and so forth, Washington. You get the you get the deal. And then you got the ACC. That's Florida State, Miami, Duke, 
Yes, they have a football team, so on and so forth. The Big 12, which I talked about recently with Texas and Texas Tech and Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, all the Midwest guys. Um, and then you also have uh, the SEC, which is Alabama, Auburn, and Kentucky. But we'll get into those teams as well, as well as the ACC. So y'all, y'all, y'all keep y'all keep with it. All right. Now, in terms of some you know significant ball wins and losses, uh, Michigan State was uh, able to beat up on Washington State, forty-two to seventeen in the Holiday Ball. They both were in the top. Uh, I would I would say outside the top ten, so in that top fifteen range, fifteen to twenty range, that was a solid matchup. Just for that sake, Washington is usually known for their offense because their coach Mike Leach, but unfortunately that wasn't that didn't happen, and I was a little bit surprised by the score because Michigan isn't Michigan State, excuse me, isn't the type of team to put forty two team forty two points on somebody. Now they'll they'll definitely keep your offense to about to about seventeen or less, but I I don't really see them scoring forty two a whole lot on people. So that was a little bit surprising to me. Another big time win was Ohio State beating USC twenty seven to twenty one in the Cotton Ball again. A matchup of people of, of two teams just outside the top ten, um, right outside that precipice of the, the actual playoff. A couple losses to set them, or I know a lot. It was two losses for USC, if I'm not mistaken, and one loss for oh no, no Ohio State did finish two and two overall, so they both had two loss seasons. So that kind of excluded them out the conversation because there was at least one team with one loss that made it to the playoff and that was Clemson. So that extra loss took them took them out of the picture. Now their significant loss came in the outback ball. Michigan beat was beaten by South Carolina nineteen to twenty six. And I think South Carolina is an emerging team in the in the SEC, but I'll get to them in the future. But yeah, Michigan had to take that out. So they did finish seven and one in, in postseason play, which isn't too bad. Not too, not too bad at all. Now, in terms of recruiting, uh, the top three teams in the conference are Ohio State. We got Penn State and also Michigan. Yes. So let me make sure. Yes, Michigan. <laughs> and uh, just to just to get into that, let's talk about Ohio State real quick. Ohio State finished number two overall in the national rankings as well. They have twenty six overall, twenty six commitments overall at this point. Um, they have three five star recruits, including offensive tackle from Tampa, Florida, Nicholas Pettit Ferrer, who finished number seven. He's a number seven overall in the nation prospect, and he's the number one prospect. Uh, number one prospect at his position. They also have 24 star recruits, um, including Cameron Brown, the a wide receiver from St. Louis, Missouri, and also Tyreek Smith, defensive end from Cleveland, Ohio. Now, at number two in the, in the conference, we have Penn State, who finished number five on the national scene. They have 23 total commits so far, three five-star recruits, including Justin Shorter, wide receiver from Monmouth County, New Jersey, who finished number eighth in the national recruiting, number one in his position, and number one in his uh, his state in terms of recruit in terms of recruits. Now, they also have, excuse me, Micah Parsons. Uh, he is a defensive end, number five in the nation, number five, uh, sorry, number five recruit 
in his at his position and the number crew, number two recruit in his state of Pennsylvania. He's from Harrisburg, uh, Pennsylvania, and they also have 12 four-star recruits, including Nick Tarburton. He's an inside linebacker from uh, Perseski, Pennsylvania. Sorry about that pronunciation. <laughs> now, uh, the third team, like I said, is going to be Michigan, and they brought in 20 recruits, seven four-star recruits, including Ryan Hayes, offensive tackle, who's the number fifth prospect. Uh, sorry, the number fifth, number five, uh, the number five prospect prospect in the state of Michigan. He's from Traverse City, and they also recruited Joe Milton. Pro-style quarterback, the number nine rated quarterback out of Orlando, Florida. And they also have another outside linebacker, number seven in his position, and the number two uh, recruited from his state of Indianapolis. He's from uh, Indiana. He's from Minneapolis. And we're talking about Cameron McGrone. Now, the rest of the teams uh, that round out the Big Ten, a.k.a. the Big 14, are Nebraska, Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Indiana, Purdue, Illinois, Rutgers, and Northwestern. Now, with that being said, let's get into these key games real quick. I would say there's going to be two. Um, the Big Ten isn't playing a whole, a whole slew of, you know, Power Five conference teams. At least the top, the top uh, ranked teams here in the conference. They're not going to be playing a whole lot of you know, power five conference games early in the year or throughout the season in general. But uh, two of the key games that I'm going to highlight here are going to be at least upset worthy. This is why I'm going to be putting them out here. Um, the first one is going to be September the 8th, and that's going to be Michigan State versus Arizona State. Arizona State usually comes to play. They come to score a lot of points. I've seen them put almost 70 points up on Texas Tech a couple years back. My question is, you know, how how good is Michigan State's defense early in the year? Can they keep up with it? I know they get solid, and just like with Big Ten teams in general, they might take, you know, early losses. They might take early setbacks, but they usually get, you know, centered, you know, later on in the year about week six, week eight, and then start to go on a deep run and start, you know, pushing things in their conference. My question is how how good are they early? Can they can they have a good game? Can the can the team have a good game early in the year? I don't know. At least offensively, that's a question for me. So that's an upset alert for them. And then another upset alert I got is Ohio State versus TCU, and that's going to be September the fifteenth. TCU, in my opinion, is man. Um, it's always been a solid team defensively, also a solid team offensively. Ohio State, they have like I said, they have quarterback. Uh, they have a quarterback battle going on right now and there's a question there right now so um they're not 100 percent sure you know with whoever they have or whoever they're going to start the season with and it's almost to the point now where I th actually they're going to have a two quarterback system going on going into at least to the early part of the year so that should play a factor in there as well they're not officially set at quarterback that's not one of the greatest signs for me so i'm as you know i'm going to honestly say that's an upset alert. Now, in terms of the conference, I'm just going to say, I'm going to give you a, a couple of, 
three actually Penn State games because I'm going to tell you this. Penn State off the top. Penn State is my dark horse not only to win the Eastern Division but also the Big Ten as well. The conference goes right through their hands. They're going to be playing Ohio State, Michigan State, and Wisconsin. They're going to be playing Ohio State on uh, the 19th, I'm sorry, the 29th of September, they're going to be, and they're going to be hosting Ohio State and Wisconsin. They're going to be hosting Wisconsin November the 10th. These are going to be important games because, like I said, these are the these are the matchups that are not only going to win the conference, but are going to solidify playoff spots. We already know Ohio State's going to be at or near the top five. Penn State out under the top five as well. Wisconsin is probably going to be on the outside looking in and Mich- outside looking in, in the beginning until they get their record established. If they're able to knock off Penn State or somebody else along the way, then there you go. Um, another big game I'm going to have to highlight again is going to be Penn State versus Michigan State. Again, Michigan State is probably definitely on the outside looking in. They're probably going to come into the season ranked somewhere within the top 10, I believe, maybe top 15. Again, if they are able to knock Penn State off, that automatically puts them in the picture. This is going to be October 13th, so look out for that one as well. Another big-time game is going to be Ohio State versus Michigan State. This is going to be November 24th. This is going to be highlighted, should be highlighted, because I think Michigan might be coming into their own this season. They uh, they did finish 4-5 last season, but they did finish with eight wins overall. I think they can give Ohio State a run for their money, and if it's if it's any year that they Ohio Ohio State has a setback, this might be the year. I just have a feeling that if if Penn State is able to knock them off in September, the chances of Michigan State being Michigan, excuse me, being able to knock them off in November might be a little bit higher for me. And another big one is, is going to be in November. It's going to be Michigan and Ohio, Michigan State, excuse me, and Ohio State. Michigan State and Ohio State is going to be is going to be a huge matchup again because this is going to be after Penn State has has had a chance at them. Now, if Penn State beats both of them, and that's pretty much they have that one loss, that's still a pivotal game because Penn State at that point will have to pay. Well, Penn State will have to play Wisconsin that same day. That is key. Michigan State, Ohio State is probably one of the bigger matchups as well. Now, finally, uh, this game is going to be October the 20th. This is going to be Michigan versus Michigan State. Again, I think Michigan is on the rise. I think Michigan should be looked out for in terms of, I, well, I'm giving him. I'm giving him a sleeper pick. It's, you know, Jim Harbaugh has been working his tail off. He's been recruiting his ass off. Maybe, maybe he breaks, breaks the status quo and upsets Ohio State. Who knows? But we're gonna get a chance to see that October the twentieth versus his arch rival, well, Michigan's arch rival. Well, yeah, his his arch rival too. He's a Wolverine. His arch rival, the Michigan State Spartans, who are definitely gonna come to play. But in terms of my favorite to win the conference, I'm going to have to go with my heart of hearts. I'm going to have to go with Ohio State. I just feel like even though they have issues at quarterback, they've been winning it. They've been finding a way to win it for so many years. And um, I think they they find a way to do it again. Now, my – my champion coming out of the Western Division, though, is still going to be Wisconsin. I think they keep up the status quo. I don't think anybody in the Western 
um, division can really see them right now. I think Northwestern had a solid year, but do I think they get seven Big Ten wins again? No, I'm going to keep it real with you. I don't see them getting seven Big Ten wins again, and I don't see them getting having another 10-win season back-to-back, but that's just me. Iowa, they had a couple uh, – well, they had that one upset – uh, against Ohio State, excuse me. But overall, they finished four and five in the conference. So I'm not buying it. Nebraska, they're going to be bringing in a, a new coach. They've already been struggling. So there's, that's another one I can't give you. Purdue, same thing in terms of uh, their offensive coordinator. They're going to be having a new offense. They have, they pretty much have a running back by committee going on right now. So for me, it's a little hard to say for them. They did only allow 20 points in, in terms of defense. So they might be able to pull a couple games off, and, at least in, the, in terms of their, uh, uh, in their division. So again, that's, that's a hard one for me. Um, now, like I said, the big thing is going to come down to Penn State. They're going to be hosting Michigan State and Ohio State. I, excuse me, I thought they were going to be hosting Wisconsin as well, but it's going to be Michigan State and Ohio State for them. I think the road, the road through the Big Ten goes through Happy Valley, Valley, and that's where Penn State plays. It's going to play a significant role, and if they're able to to beat Ohio State, like I said early in the year, that is going to set the tone. But again, like I said. In terms of Michigan, my sleeper picks uh, being Michigan and Michigan State. Uh, Michigan is, has a top ten QB. They have a transfer from Ole Miss, who's 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 said to be one of the best, and they're returning eight starters. Now they already have the best defense in pretty much the nation. Now, what they what their problem was last year was that they had problems with closing out games. Five of their losses came down to fourteen points or less. So. Imagine a team like that with a lot more experience. Mm-mm. So <laughs> there's somebody to look out for. And I do have Wisconsin somewhat as a dark horse. Um, and the reason being is is they are bringing back um, – they're returning two 10 starters, excuse me, including their – uh, running back, their star running back, Jonathan Taylor. Now, their offensive line is one of the best best in the nation, and they also have the number one receiving corner in the conference. Now, their issue is they're going to have to play Penn State on the road. Oh, yeah, so Penn State is hosting them. Yeah, they're hosting them as well. Yeah, Penn State is the place to go. Look, they can, they, they can control their own destiny. They host Michigan State, Ohio State, and they got to host Wisconsin. Those are three of the the best teams in the conference. They gotta go through Penn State. Home field advantage it is gonna mean something this year. We're gonna see just how much home advantage means this year. If Penn State is able to go two and one, that could still even going two and one in that stretch could if they're able to if they're able still able to get to their conference championship game and win it, they are they would be able to get a playoff spot, which would mean a chance at a national championship. So it, it means something that's significant. Um, Wisconsin is also going to be playing Northwestern, who, again, they did have seven conference wins last year. We don't know where they could, where they could go. Uh, they, could actually, they could actually improve from that. I could just be a little bit negative on them. They could improve from that. Now, Iowa, they're bringing back their quarterback who had 26 touchdowns last year, Nate Sadler. They have one of the best D-line in the conference. Again, I just I just don't see them getting more than five 
five wins in this conference. Um, their conference rec- their conference schedule doesn't suit that. Um, they're gonna have to, you know, really rely on the upsets and really hope they can string them together to really have something. But uh, no. So in terms of my favorite, I gotta go with Ohio State again. They've been the pinnacle of winning in the conference. I'm, I know that they have quarterback issues, but again, they have the coaching staff. They have the defense to do it. Um, my dark horses would definitely have to be. I'm gonna have to go with Penn State, though. Uh, I wanna, I wanna side with Wisconsin, but I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to really go with Penn State. They pretty much control their destiny. Three of the best teams in the conference have to go to their house and and beat them, which is not an easy thing to do. They pack a hundred thousand people in there, so yeah. Good luck with that. Good luck with that Ohio State. Good luck with that Michigan State. Good luck with that Wisconsin. Y'all gonna have to find a way. Um, I want to say an outside choice for me would have to be Wisconsin, only because they're bringing back ten starters. They already have a good solid offense, probably really underrated offense. I would probably say the I would say in all honesty, honestly, the best overall offense because they already have a solidified quarterback. They have the best offensive line. They're bringing back their starting running back, and they have the best receiving core in the conference. So. Offensively, look for them to probably be the better team stat-wise. I'll have to see them in the crucial games. You, they're going to have to beat Penn State. They're going to have to beat the Ohio States when it comes down to it, if it comes down to it. So that's going to be their thing. And like I said, just to, re, just to reiterate on my super picks, I'm going to go with – I'm still going to side with Michigan. I think Michigan has is, been on the rise. I think Michigan – they have a good coach. They're recruiting very well. They finished third in the conference. Uh, it's a matter of, of time. If it's not this year, then it's going to be in subsequent years, at least in, in the next one or two. So look out for Michigan this year. They might stun somebody. They might stun Ohio State. They might be able to. They might sting Michigan State. Well, I also have a sleeper pick. As a sleeper pick, Michigan State is uh, bringing back a few starters as well. They improved. They improved. They were already. They already improved last year's record by seven games. They're looking to improve this year. They were bringing back the most starters. They're bringing back nineteen. Um, they already won six games. Well, they won a lot of games by 10 points or less. So they're going to be a lot better. So imagine these, these point spreads being a little bit farther. Their only question is they're running, they're running game. I'm not too sure what it's looking like, but, uh, anyways, guys, we're going to be right back. We got one more thing. I got one more thing we got to talk about. I told you guys we're going to be doing a review and we're going to be reviewing horrible bosses. Y'all stay tuned. We're going to wrap it up with that episode 50 y'all. Hey. Alright y'all, so we are back. We're going to wrap up episode 50 with a movie review. And uh, like I said, we're going to go over Horrible Bosses. Now it was released in 2011 and it stars Jason Bateman who plays Nick. He uh, works at a financial firm. We got Dale played by Charlie Day and he is a dental assistant. And then we got Kurt who's played by Jason Sudeikis and he's an accountant for a chemical company. Now this is your, not your average, you know, worker hates their boss story. Of course, there's some of that dynamic there. You got your bosses played by John Cusack. Uh, he plays David Harkin, who's Nick's boss. Then you got Dr. Harris, who's Dale's boss, and she's played by Jennifer Aniston. And then you got uh, Bobby Pettit, who is Kurt's boss, and he's played by Colin Farrell. Now, each one of them are crazy in their own way. Uh, David just so happens to be, he's like one of your 
tyrant, maniacal, domineering, but at the same time, manipulative bosses. Like, one of my favorite scenes is when he's able to get Nick to take a shot of whiskey early, like, like 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, under the impression that he was going to take one with him. And once he was able to pour the shot, he's like, you're not, you're not dumping that. You're going to have to drink that. And then automatically he takes the shot and he's accused of being late and all that. He gets in trouble and it's assumed that he has a drinking problem. That's how that pretty much, and his boss ends up, you know, David ends up accusing Nick of drinking early in the job. So, and that's pretty much why he's late. And that's pretty much why he brought him in there. It wasn't even to take the shot. It was just to tell him that he was late for work. And it set him up some more. And he's crazy because basically, you know, at least in the beginning part of the movie, he basically implies to Nick that he's going to be, you know, giving some type of promotion. But what happens is he's like, nah, forget that. I'm just going to consolidate all the power and I'll take up the position. Don't worry about it. And that sets that sets Nick off, which was setting the body off. Now, you know, with the other bosses, you know, it's not, like I said, it's not your typical, you know, the worker hates their boss movie, of course, because, I mean, how often did your boss sexually, in terms of, you know, Dr. Harris and Dale, like, how often did your boss really want to have sex with you? Like, how often is that realistic? I, maybe I'm ugly, and I don't, I, that doesn't happen for me. Well, I wouldn't say that I'm ugly, but maybe I'm just not that that's sexy so i guess my boss wouldn't find me sexy and would want to do that so i thought i thought her character was a little bit hypersexual for no apparent reason i mean she's she's not an ugly woman she's a sexy woman like a beautiful woman i guess by our beauty standards but to see her hypersexual it's like uh okay all right let's parade her out for a little bit i guess let's get these 35 year olds 35 year old white guys riled up yeah yeah you know the ones that used to watch friends oh yeah oh yeah sure and then you got colin farrell's guy character bobby pettit he's the son of uh jack pettit um he was kurt uh jack was kurt's favorite boss but you know the son of course bobby he's a total douche as you know they would say and he does cocaine and other drugs and he's crazy and he likes you know loose women and he's no he's no shape to lead no no company <laughs> and you, you can see what happens i mean i'm not going to give all the movie away i'm just going to give you you know the quick synopsis of course but of course you know he's just unfit in my opinion to lead any type of business but anyways you know their bosses all three of these bosses they're crazy in their own way and i think they're dying except with maybe the dynamic between dale and dr harris i you know i just don't find that one super genuine but everyone else i mean it's just kind of especially with you know nick and david those two you know the way that they kind of play off each other in that office setting i like that uh relationship there but anyways or the the lack of a relationship and pretty much these these three bosses set these guys off to the point where they want to you know get back at them you know they want to set these guys up for murder so they meet up with you know jamie fox's character motherfucker jones i'm gonna keep it lit i thought that character was motherfucking worthless okay so because it, it turns out like he just took their money he wasn't even like that bad of a dude and he just happened to just be a swindler like any other any other dude at the bar that's shady like come on dude like no 
was worth his character. It was a waste of time. Not one of his best roles. I I had to take points off the movie for that. I'm just gonna be honest. I wasn't feeling it. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, and and then overall, just the plot and how it, how everything played itself out. I don't see how those guys didn't get significant jail time. In real life, they would have had to go to jail. So again, <laughs> maybe I'm being too much of a realist. I I couldn't feel it, but it was funny. It was goofy. It was one of those movies where you laugh at, and but then the cold part is they gave it a sequel, and the sequel wasn't, in my opinion, distinguishable. So in my opinion, they both become a huge clump, a huge mass of the same kind of story, uh, except in the second one, of course, they're able to start their own business, but then they're screwed out of their money, so they you know pretty much get after the head of that corporation people that are shooting for their money whatever you know but it's the same type of in my opinion it's like this this working class taking over the man in some unrealistic situation and i i guess i get it but i'm not the biggest fan of it ryan tomatoes gave it a 69 you know imdb gave it a 6.9 i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a six Again, it was funny. It was silly at parts. Again, I definitely liked how John Cusack and Jason Bateman played off each other, especially in that whiskey scene. But I think, you know, just the, just Dr. Harris and her just over Jennifer Anderson's over sexualization, you know, and her just relation with Dale. I don't find that feasible and just the plan itself. I don't see how they pull that off without getting no real significant jail time. I don't know. You know, to me, it just seemed really goofy and just really just out there. And it really was just there for the comedy. And in a movie like that is it's fine, I guess. But I want a comedy to to be actually funny because the plot, not because it has to. I feel like it has to be funny because of who's in it and just kind of, you know, just their certain dynamics of the movie. But overall, it wasn't the best movie ever. So I'm going to give it a six. Like I said, it made some decent money at the at the box office, it had a $35 million budget, budget. it brought back in like $200 million, I think, almost, so, I mean, in terms of that, it did solid, but overall, you know, enough to get it a sequel, of course, but like I said, both of the movies kind of draw together in one big clump for me, one overrated, over, I wouldn't say overrated, but I would rate it all together as a pile of six, pretty much, alright, y'all, that's episode 50, Check back tomorrow. This has been a journey. This has been a, a process, but we finally got it out. Uh, we will be, like I said, we will be back tomorrow. We got the word on the street. Tomorrow we'll have an AFC West uh, preview for the NFL. And then also uh, for college football, we're going to be talking about the MAC and the Mountain West conferences, two smaller conferences. We're going to get those to those tomorrow. And uh, stay tuned. I if anything, uh, like I said about, uh, especially earlier when I talked about that Trump situation, if anything more uh, results with that, even more news comes out from that, we're definitely going to be talking about that tomorrow and within subsequent days or even weeks. just depends on how deep that, that story gets. So come back tomorrow, episode 51. We right back at it again. But this is, this is, I guess, a milestone for me for episode 50. But signing off for episode 50. Once again, this is El Jamal, and this is Never Out of Bounds, and thank you for those who continue to listen. Peace out.